Hello everyone and welcome once again to Royal Grown Radio. I'm Michael Beck, joined as always by my fantastic co-host Rick Elliott. Hey, hey, hey. We're here back at the Passion Presents studios after doing a couple on the road, on location episodes and we're really just beyond excited and honored to be sitting here with a legend of the music industry, artist, activist, and general all-around good guy. His fast-spitting, baritone, velvet-smooth voice has graced your ears more times than you probably realize. Thanks for joining us, Charlie Tuna. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me, too. I appreciate that for sure. Man, it's, it's really so great to have you here. What we do on Royal Grown Radio is like travel around, connect with our friends and family, and talk about the roots of the cannabis industry, our connections to music and through music, and how cannabis elevated that life and connected us to our paths now right and all of the kind of interesting journeys that brought us here together today yeah. like what are the chances that we're sitting here after such various paths so talking about cannabis the way we do yeah yeah, yeah man so let's dig in a little bit and jump to your history like you're from chicago originally right yes, and sir. came out to la I came out to L.A. in, the first time I came out to L.A. was in 1984, and I spent two years, I mean, excuse me, two um, months um, of summer bleeding into the school year, um, uh, trying to figure out whether or not I was going to live with my, with my aunt out in California, away from my little brother and my little sister and my mom and everybody else in my family that lived in Chicago. Because, um, you know, Chicago at the time, and still is to this day, kind of dangerous place to be. And I was, you know, on a, on a path that I would say if I could look at it in hindsight, it was like a path to destruction because I was messing with some, some seedy dudes that was family members or what have you. Anyway, that being said, um, I, I needed a break, too. And I went out to California in 84 and uh, was bored as hell. Didn't have nothing to do. Didn't meet any. I met one friend who would later. Please remember to ask me about that one friend I met a little bit later on down the line. Yes. But, uh, it was like a real fluke how when I, he came back into my life. But anyway, uh, ended up staying for two months and moved back to Chicago um, after realizing that one the the, the school system was having a. a Sending, having a, a, a tough time sending me my transcripts to transfer me from Chicago school system to California. It took forever. It wow. Was, I don't know why it was, you know, it was, it was such a hold up. And then two, I was just getting a little depressed. I was missing my family, man. You know, I was missing what I knew. So they moved me back. A uh, series of, event, of events would happen that would move myself and my grandmother and my sister and my brother out to California for good because um, my grandmother moved with my aunt. I decided to go with them because I was closer to destruction than I was the last time. <laughs> it's amazing how those spirals can yeah. happen and reconnecting with the family exactly. was that so path I, out. When I got to California, it, it just put me on this other path. I still had the eyes of, of a Chicagoan. In, in, a, in a laid back California where it was all this opportunity and a lot of people not, in my opinion, moving fast enough to, <laughs> to get to that opportunity. You know, there's other California people, you know, at, on average at, at, in that time, like, you know, just real laid back, you know what I mean? I wasn't used to the sunny skies and the beaches and, you know, the good weed and all that stuff. I wasn't used to none of that stuff. Yeah, you know I mean, we, Grew up in dark times where people dress up in colorful things because everything else around us is grim and gray. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I grew up in the Midwest, so I can you know relate the, you to know that. You vibe, yeah. Yeah, I grew up. New York City, same way. Yeah, same way in New York, too. Yeah, yeah I sure. grew up driving through Chicago as a kid. Um, my parents lived about an hour and a half from Chicago and Michigan, so we oh, okay. got, that was my big city adventures was to go to Chicago. and Yeah, like. man, there was some grimness, man, grim, all the way along that lakeshore where industry collapsed and people started needing to find new opportunity and that's cool that it led you to california yeah yeah but you know who could see in the future you know what i'm saying hindsight is 2020 like they say when, it, amongst all of that stuff i didn't know what was gonna happen and i had a lot of people dying around, a lot of friends dying around me and things of that nature and yeah so i you know i just didn't know i was uncertain but i was happy 
to be out of the pressures that I, uh, you know, was uh, susceptible to, you know what I'm saying? My big cousin was crazy, and I idolized him. And so Always. I ended up, you know, trying to emulate everything he did. And yeah, it just got kind of crazy. Lost myself for a second, you know what I'm saying? So did you fall into cannabis back in Chicago, or is yeah. that something you discovered in California? Fell into it back in Chicago. Um, first on some, just, you know. I was going to say quality difference probably, right? Oh, man, the quality, <laughs> if you talk about quality, that's a whole nother story. We could talk about that for two years, how it's just like, dude, the, you know. Yep, yeah, Chicago yep. for the longest time had no quality, you know what I'm saying, at all. But it was yeah. just the, the, the uh, for me, it, it was the bleed off from the 60s and my mom and them and, you know, being, you know what I'm saying, cats who used to smoke weed and just trying to be cool and hip and stuff like that. Uh, growing, you know, being the little kid when it was time to go to bed, it's your time to go to bed and then all of a sudden your mom and your auntie and them out there laughing, giggling and shit, you smell something funny in the air. You're like, damn, that shit smell good. What is that? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. But this happens all the time, you know what yeah. I mean? And you know when your your auntie or your mama's friend come over that they're going to break that shoebox out from up under the, the couch, yeah. you know what I mean? That kind of thing. So I don't know. I kind of like fell in love with that aspect of it as a kid looking and thinking to myself, you know, when I get grown, I'm going to smoke be one of them, you know, whatever. But then falling into it a little bit earlier than that. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? That, that smell yeah. is in, infectious. I remember sitting in the movie theater as, as a kid, you know, I think seeing like Saturday Night Fever. Nice. Or something <laughs> like late 70s, you know, and just being like, damn, what is that smell? And obviously in New York in the, in the 70s, the movie theaters, there, there was no shame. Yeah. Everyone was lighting up. It was just hot box the whole movie theater, even if it was a, a you know, a kid friendly movie. I think Star Trek was the same way. I went and saw Star Trek with my dad. It was just completely hotboxed. <laughs> man, I used to do that in Chicago too, man. For man real. In Michigan, that was not the game. Like you were not smoking weed in public without going to jail back in wow. those times. It was, yeah. it was tough. So that I didn't know that about New York and that it was that loose in Chicago in the theaters and yeah, stuff. It was crazy. I just remember growing up. It was a theater in Chicago downtown called Mac Vickers. Okay. And uh, they they play all karate movies, so you 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 come two dollars and twenty five cent, and you can sit in there for hours to watch five kung fu yeah. films. You know what I mean? Yeah. You sit in there and find your spot in the balcony, and these dudes up there lighting up like crazy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That was the first real toka weed I had was in the balcony at Mac Vickers. You remember Mac Vickers? I'm sorry, I'm talking past the camera. Whatever. I got a friend over there from Chicago, but yeah, that was the first time I ever actually hit some weed was. In That's that balcony. So nice. <laughs> oh, man, I yeah. love that. Getting that little glimpse of the past and like kind of knowing Chicago at that time. That's yeah, man. That's that's, that's quite that's a mental crazy. picture for me. Yeah, I love it. So you discovered cannabis. You're going through life, checking out California. Get the family vibe out there. Have you already discovered music? Were you an artist before that transition? Is has art and music always been something and what captured that for you? Um, well, uh, first off, I always say to a person that I'm, I'm, I'm an artist who can rap. I'm a painter who can rap, you know what I'm saying? Because um, yeah. the, the, the visual art came first. My family is full of visual artists. My, from my memory, it started with me idolizing my mother's oldest brother, rest in peace, my Uncle Detmer. He could play the flute, the piano, and he could paint. And I used to just sit there and be like, <laughs> right, amazed that he could do those things, but amazed at how, because he could do those things, he would attract some of the most beautiful women. I used to be like, dude, <laughs> how are you doing this? You know what I'm saying? But I'm a kid, I'm six, you know, tripping out on all of this stuff, and I'm, you know, in my head thinking that it all goes together or whatever. But anyway, my, my, my oldest uncle is a hell of a painter, was a hell of a painter. My, uh, my, mother, my grandmother's brother, who was my great uncle, or my grand uncle, how do you say that? Rest in peace, he, he died as well. But he was an amazing painter. But he was an actor as well, you know what I'm saying? Um, then my mother's baby sister could draw her ass off, did it on some nervous doodle stuff. Never was serious about it, ever. But I would, it'd be times where I could come to my auntie and be like, hey, auntie, I got homework. Uh, uh, they want me to draw this wolf or whatever, you know. Come here, boy. Just take the paper. 
boom, out of memory and, and then give it back to me. And it's just like some realistic ill wolf. I'm like, dude, how are you doing that? So I used to be amazed at that. Uh, on my father's side, I never met my father's, uh, my father's father, but my pops used to always tell me stories about how he could paint. So I'm just going through all this to say that it's a lot of painters in my family. In the younger uh, generation, I got uh, younger cousins, uh, a couple of nieces, who all, everybody just got, got the talent of just da dancers through the family. So It's part of that wiring. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. when I was a kid, my mom used to, you know, when she had company or she was cleaning up or whatever it was, and, and me and my cousins were around or I had friends over, throw down some tracing paper or some construction paper and some markers or some crayons, and y'all sit down, you know, draw something or whatever, and I'd. I just took a liking to it crazy early, like crazy early. And in 1979, Rapper's Delight came out. Amongst a bunch of people who were already um, kind of shaping their own sound, which was house music in Chicago. Okay, you know yeah. I'm a kid, I couldn't enjoy house music like I enjoy it now. But watching it shape itself, doing its own thing in Chicago after the Studio 54 days in New York and yep. the DJs migrating and this and the third, you know, amongst all that, that was the only thing you heard on the radio. We had like uh, WBMX, the Hot Mix 5 and all these different things. And I used to, you know, yeah. there's nothing you could do but listen to that stuff, right, until hip hop started to seep in. You had to dig for it. Yeah. When Rapper's Delight came out, I used to, I was on a, a school bus, we used to, school buses back and forth to school, and our school bus driver was, he loved the fucking 24-minute version of that song. Oh, yeah. So he had it on a cassette tape, and he would play it back to back while he was driving us around, <laughs> to the point where kids in the bus learned the words, and I was one of the kids in the bus to learn the words. Then he would challenge us and be like, hey, can you make that, that song say something about you or your family or or who you are, and it's like early training on how oh, to rap, you know what shit. I'm saying? So we would change so the words of Rapid's Delight to, you know, to who we are, you know what I'm saying? Well, I'm the C-H-A, the L-I-T, you know, the dude, you know, I'm making sound like me and the yeah. things that I had to do. Tell your story. Tell my story through the raps. He was cool as hell. I remember that dude, Mr. Russell. He's cool as hell. That's a fun song to sing. I mean, the yeah. lyrics to that song, obviously the bass line, the groove itself is just super infectious. Exactly, you know? and the but, way it was written like a nursery rhyme. And that album was definitely the the kickoff for what was about to come yeah because right beginning. at that same time you know african bambata grandmaster mm -hmm. flash curtis blow everything just exploded in new york in 19, 1980 by 1980 yeah, by it was off yeah for yep. sure for sure and we was just kids like first second third grade like you know everybody know that song and then after it got infectious like that after after doing it on the bus we would do it in the playground yard yeah. we do it at home you know what I'm saying? And yeah. other rap songs, we look out for other rap songs and stuff like that. And I was just like all tripping out. And there was a dude named Dave that uh, moved into my neighborhood from the Bronx for Fort Apache. Damn. Right, so you know, I'm at that the, time. I'm from the Bronx. Really? So you know, yeah, you know yeah. when it was burning down and, oh, yeah. and all those uh, All the insurance companies were yeah. firing everybody out. Yep. The reason why they moved was because of that. So. He comes to Chicago bragging about New York. You know, Chicagoans, if you know anything about Chicagoans, we got pride about our city. Yeah, yeah. So oh, it was yeah. like, what? Whatever. You know what I mean? It was doing that. He was older than me. You know, he was easily three, four years older than me and stuff. But, he, you know, we, he was my, not next door, but next door neighbor. So we used to, you know, meet each other in the hallways in our building and talk crazy to each other and this and the third. But one day he was telling me about how in New York, they're gangs like how it is in Chicago, but they settle their differences with dancing. I was mm -hmm. like, get the hell out of here. Whatever you talking, whatever. Right? Yeah. Big time. Around that same time, it was a TV They're show. They're called Battles. Right. <laughs> Around that same time, it was a TV show called That's Incredible. Am I showing my age with that? Do you remember that? Man, I that do TV remember show? that. I haven't heard that it's probably since then. But. Fran Tarkington and all these different people were the, the host of the show. Right? Okay. I used to love to watch it because they'd be showing all kind of new stuff. This particular episode, today on That's Incredible, we travel to the Bronx where the gangs settle their differences with dancing. And I was like, this is what he was talking about. Yeah. So I'm glued, right? Eyes wide. Yeah, and I'm watching what, what they're doing. They show P. 
pieces of the whole culture before any of us outside of New York could identify what hip hop was, you know what I'm saying? And I'm just like glued, right? After that episode, I ran down to Dave House. Hey, I need to know everything. <laughs> Spill it, man. Everything, right? He's like, okay, because he had seen me draw. It was dope, too, now that I'm thinking about it, because on this side of me was some college students that were from Germany, because uh, our building was close to uh, a college called Illinois Institute of Technology. Yeah. So these guys were from Germany, and they were artists. They were hell of a technical artist and shit, and they were going to school for like engineering and graphic design and stuff. But they, you know, the only white dudes in our neighborhood, and they were real cool, long hair, fucking rock dudes, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But they, yeah. you, they hit me to a lot of like rock music and stuff because they lived next door. I used to go by, you know, borrow a cup of sugar and yeah. that. But anyway, anyway, I'll tell you about that story in a second. <laughs> they were over here, Dave was here. Dave saw me drawing one day and was like, damn, you could draw, you know, that's cool. So when I came to knocking on his door and asked him to tell me everything about the whole New York culture and this and the third, he was like, I'm going to start you with this, man. When, when, I, when I was asking him about the heat, and like I said, he knew that I, that I could draw. So he went straight to a stack of uh, photo albums he had. Because I guess his building was, was the, this floor that he lived on when he was in the Bronx. It was, di- it was a direct, direct site to the, the elevated trains and they would pass by his house. So he would get these cool ass pictures. He had like a stack of photo albums, about three or four of them. Nice. The skinny ones, full of pictures. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So I was lost. I saw that and I was like, oh, you could do that with spray paint? Like I'm just sitting over here with markers and pens and crayons. You, what? He, and he probably went to the flats in the Bronx, which is where we all used to go, because they would park the trains and maintain them overnight. It would spread out into this big V. And obviously you'd get chased all the time, shot out with rock salt guns. Wow. But that, that's where you would hit the trains up. So you'd, you'd have almost the entire night in the dark to go out there with five or six different people and just blast the entire side of a train out in one night. That's crazy. The flats. That's crazy. I don't know if, he, if that's what he was in, but he was always used to tell me that he could see the trains pass by and it would stop by his window and he was able to take all these dope-ass pictures. It was cool. You know, the instant camera kind. And oh, yeah, yeah. His mom had the little... The, the, Kodak, the, the Kodak you know. 24. Yeah, so, <laughs> you know, it was cool. And I was just amazed and um, I was hooked from there. Anything that I could see graffiti-wise, anybody who I knew did it. You know, he, he introduced me to a couple of other New York dudes he knew moved to Chicago on the north side of Chicago. So we um, would go to this boys club, another friend of mine named Eric Clay. Uh, to, uh, would go with me and stuff and yeah we just met a lot of different people that was outside of our neighborhood like we was in the hood whereas these guys were on the north side doing little things with boys clubs and stuff and we was like oh yeah. shit so I just kind of got into it gradually through there and that was like 81, 82 like that around yep. that time you know what I'm saying I was just really like trying to paint paint that was my thing I was like okay now that I'm understanding what this hip hop thing is, I'm trying to be the graffiti guy. So, did, and but when you go into that, did that automatically take you into breakdancing? Because you were talking about the yeah. dance battles, and yeah. that was you know hugely coercive between music and graffiti mm-hmm. and breakdancing. I mean, those three were you know they went together. Yeah, no so like, where you went. like I said, like anything that had anything to do with that culture, we we would try to find it. VCR tapes, magazines, whatever, posters. Yep. You know, we And formed. then Beat Street came out. Yeah, but this was before, <laughs> right before Beat Street came out. It really, I guess when Beat Street did come out, we were really, we started like really trying to, 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 to emulate uh, the New York City breakers with, with the, with the, Windbreaker suits and the, oh, yeah. you know the, the Lees, the dress, oh, yeah, yeah, the, the Adidas hard shell. Dude, I, man, for yeah. sure. But before that, it was us just trying to understand it. Okay. You DJ, so we not doing house DJing. That's a whole nother story. It's a different style of DJing, okay? You you pop locking and break dancing and stuff. I was skinny, tall, skinny dude, so I was more pop locked than I was like Mr. Freeze style. Yeah, remember Mr. Like Freeze? That. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Skills for days. And the breaking came out too, so it was a different style of pop locking oh, yeah. on the West Coast, and we in the middle looking at these movies, not being able to. Or we're able, but not, you know, just separating the shit. Not separating it by coast or none of that stuff. Just looking at it all as one big clump. Like, oh, okay, this is what we need to use to teach us how to do this. You yeah, as I mean? a Midwesterner, I feel like we were always looking to the coasts and then trying to redefine. Bingo. 
You know, it's like, oh, that's so cool. What they're doing on the left is awesome. What they're doing on the east, that's really cool too, but they're different. Like, how do we make that our thing and rise above to make ourselves known? Exactly. And it wasn't until, you know, honestly, for me, it wasn't until uh, the middle of COVID and the death of Shabadoo, the, the breakdancer from, uh, I didn't realize my mom, me and my mom were watching TV and it, and it came up that Shabadoo passed away. And my mom was like, I know him. I know his family. I was like, how, mom? This is a West Coast breakdance. He was like, she was like, he wasn't always West Coast. This is my mom talking oh, to me. Oh, shit. She goes, look, wow. did you used to watch Soul Train? I'm like, yeah. She was like, he was one of the, 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 the camel lockers. He was one of them dudes. And... He lived in Cabrini Green Projects on the north side of Chicago. And I was like, what? Damn. Wow, I didn't know. And I found out, yeah, it's true. He, you know, because Soul Train was in Chicago before it moved to. So I'm not, all of this information, I'm just like, oh, shit. Oh, I didn't, wow, this is cool. Like, I didn't, I didn't even know that somebody, I'm looking at, I, I discovered Shabadoo through the movie Breaking. He was Ozone. Ozone, yeah. Mm-hmm. He, that's who he played in Breaking. Okay, yeah. I discovered him through watching Breaking. So when I moved to California, I'm trying to find where he was at and where his partner and all these, you know, I'm trying to go where all of the things was happening with that. Not realizing that this dude was from my city. I thought that was so dope. Yeah, that's great. It felt great. But yeah, big old circle like that. Those were great movies. They were definitely inspirational. Yeah, I, was, I think me and you were probably around the same age. So, And I remember those movies coming out. And it was the, the drastic, you know, being in New York, I was, you know, dancing with people like Crazy Legs and those guys, right? And then, yeah, the West Coast, totally different vibes in those movies, real positive in a completely different way. Yeah, You know, sure. I mean, I, especially sure. the second one, the Saving the Community Center, yeah, the whole thing, yeah. you know? A friend of mine has an apartment in that community so oh, this, at this point. Yeah, I walk past his house all the time, and I'll no be like, <laughs> way. Electric great. Boogaloo House, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah man. That's so great. I, with those two being, you know, separate like that, I, I was always trying to clump it together, man. Like I said, I had a friend named Eric Clay, and me and him were the, like, we used to just try to, like, study everything, anything that can, any videos, movies. We heard about Wild Style coming out. We found with the, the theater that they were showing in there. We went to go see it. His mom dropped us mm-hmm. off there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we really was, like, connoisseurs of anything that had anything to do with hip-hop. Found the, the little uh, pirated Chicago radio stations and the, the, yeah, the college radio stations that would play the songs and all of that stuff, you know. So we was really trying to do it, and um, and um, around that time, you know, I want to say eighty six, eighty five, eighty five, eighty six is when my grandma decided to move to California. So we was gonna separate me and my dude, who was really like into it. You know what I'm saying? And I met a lot of guys of like minds through that guy. You know what I'm saying? A lot of my lifelong friends are. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh man, him and his his brother and things of that nature were all because of the pursuit of trying to find everything that was on on the hip hop level. I'm saying this long ass answer to say, yeah, art came first, (laughs) but it was inextricably tied with all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. 100%. I I took my, I was was trying to lead all that to say, I took my turn. I I tried, I, I tried my hand at DJing, couldn't scratch as well. I was a cool blender, couldn't scratch. Pop locking, I was good. Break dancing, I, I was all right. I got to the windmills, but I, at around that same time, I started to grow tall. I'm 6'5 now, but around that time, I was killing my back. The, my lower back was hurting. I, I got it. I was like, man, I can't maintain this. I don't know how these dudes be doing that. That's stuff. a tough so, occupation. Yeah, so I kept the game to the top game instead of the, the groundwork, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like beatboxing and stuff like that, I wasn't that cool. But I noticed that I was able to write poems and write, and I think that came from actually making pictures in my head or constructing compositions of a painting I might want to do. So I was like, I found that I was able to quickly paraphrase and, you know, and throw out merif- metaphors and puns like fast, just talking. Language and lines. Right. Yeah. Like, okay, let me try. And I started writing little poems here and there. Yeah. Now, I'm sorry. Just got to go through one more long story. <laughs> That's why we're here. Yeah. Amongst that, finding that I could write these little things, uh, two friends of mine were attracted to the rapping aspect of hip hop, preferably freestyling. None of this was defined like it is now, right? 
but they used to sit up under our building. Hey, everybody clapped their hands, and this and the third, when they was after, after sipping a few beers and getting buzzed off some weed or whatever, clapped their hands, and this and they freestyle, but it was like joke rap. I'm gonna talk about your, your shirt, look at your, you know, like your shoes, or whatever, you look at your head, or, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. And uh, it was a girl that I liked named Tasha, and she and her sister were down there listening to them. I come downstairs, because they were right ab above my window, I heard them happening, so I come downstairs to see what was up, middle of the summer walk under the, the viaduct that connects our building. And they down there doing that. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm like, damn, this is dope. You know, blah, blah, blah. But then I don't know how, somehow I, I put myself in a line of fire and I became the target. So these two dudes just start going in on me in front of a girl who I was initially scared to talk to, but I loved her. Scared to talk to this girl. Always. Embarrassed the shit out of me in front of her and her sister. They laughing at me. Everybody in the crowd was probably about eight, nine people out there laughing. Ah! Hurt. I was hurt. Man. Laughed all out of the circle. I went back upstairs mad as hell. I took a notebook, a sheet of notebook paper, and commenced to just trying to write the craziest things that rapped and rhymed <laughs> and spewed out my feelings on both pages, on both sides. And I memorized that shit for like a week. And I was like, if I ever get in that situation again, <laughs> I'm gonna kill these dudes. And I yeah. got in that situation again. I heard them downstairs one night. I was like, I'm going to murder some things. Let me All go. All right. Went downstairs. Almost the same people were there. Almost. But Tasha and her sister were there. The main two. And I was like, uh-huh. So they're doing their little thing. I was like, hey, let me try. Shut up, man. We talked about your ass a week ago. I was like, let me try. Clap your hands. Everything I wrote was directed at those two dudes. So I just rem I had it memorized and I was just spitting it out. Rah! And every other line it was, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Instantly, that was the addiction. And that's what kept me trying to do what I do to this day. It's crazy. So that's what my yeah. head wow, short man, is. I love it. How yeah. the spite led to the fight, you know? Yeah, for sure. But you took it with positivity. <sighs> I didn't well, know it was positivity at that yeah. time. <laughs> I wanted to fight. I was like, I can't stand you guys. <laughs> well, that's but like I battling it to this day. I still know those guys, so it's cool. That's cool that they yeah. gave you that drive, and I, I love the the whole concept of the New York City dudes. Like, no, we're not going to take it to the streets. We're going to take it to the floor. Yeah, for sure. And you know, Chicago took it to language and yeah. elevated. You know, I'm a little younger than you guys, so I was kind of just watching in like the mid to late 80s as Chicago really started to pop off. Graffiti started raging across the trains. Mm -hmm. I started seeing trains tagged, marked, rolling through Michigan between Detroit and Chicago because mm -hmm. I was the right in the middle. The was going on yeah, at that yeah. time, yeah, for sure. And that's when hip hop hit my life for the first time. But it was like, I got exposed more to like NWA and like early gangster rap and I loved the flow, but like, I couldn't identify with the message. That wasn't my roots. I didn't have those experiences to connect with. And it wasn't until a little later that I connected to the more positive stuff. And that's really was a defining moment was realizing, oh, like all these genres of music, they're all the same. They're just an opportunity for people to express what they're feeling and share their fight with the world. Mm -hmm. And so you are taking that from Chicago. You land out in LA and mid to late 80s in LA, it was like an enclave. It was a hot happening scene where there was tons of creativity and people elevating each other and it was really kind of popping off. What was that like to land into that scene, not knowing a lot of people, but already starting to you know find your path a little bit? It was amazing and it was uh, um, uh, revealing at the same time because all of that positivity you talked about on the yang side of the yin. It was it was it was the the middle of the drug and gang war in Los Angeles as well. Big so time. my grandmother and my mom didn't know, but they thought that they were getting me out of the middle of the drug war and gang war in Chicago. And I dove right into another drug and gang war. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I had the tools this time to to keep myself out. At first I didn't I, I learned how to grab gravitate to those tools. But when I got to California I was able to to put those tools into motion on a day-to-day -day basis because of the fact that Los Angeles was built on entertainment. So 
inadvertently actors' children, musicians' children. I was going to school with. I went to school with Leonardo DiCaprio. I went to school with. You see what I'm saying? Like <laughs> I dive in these places, and all these people that I went to school with, who like I'm looking around, and I could just tell that, dude. When we grow up, you're gonna be. You, you know, what I'm saying? it's you just something this. about you, you know. And then they do become that person, you know what yeah. I mean? It's a trip to me. It was like it was bugged out being a Chicagoan, being somebody that came from a lot of like, you know, what I won't say woe was me, but a lot of hustle and a lot of dark times and a lot of situations that were taught, like say, uh, uh, for instance, not being, I'm gonna settle down and buy a house minded. It's more like, you know, you make enough money to have a nice apartment when you get older, you know, things like that's just small, one small like lesson that I noticed when I moved to California, I was like embedded with from living in Chicago. When I came to California, I'm like, dude, I got an opportunity to buy a house. Like what's stopping me? It's fear now because I was taught another way. You know, that's these are things that I had in my head, like, you know, that I had to overcome um, living in Los Angeles. Right. But yeah, touching down. My instant uh, mission was to find where all of the stuff that I saw in these movies happened. And if I get to these places, will I see the people who I started to idolize? The Ice T's, the Ozone, you know, Shabadoo, the yeah. Turbos, and the uh, Rock graffiti artists, and all these different dudes that I loved because I'm looking at these dudes through movies. And I end up finding these people and finding these places just by, it was no internet at that time, you know what I'm saying? We talking Thomas Guides and, and uh, bus uh, 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 transit bus times and things of that nature to figure out where to go, you know what I'm saying? So I'm looking at the movie, I had it on VCR tape, Breaking is what I'm talking about when I'm now I'm in yeah. California. I'm like, okay, the first part of Breaking happened on Venice Beach, I'm, I'm out, let's go. I found a way to, I looked on the bus, I found a way to get to Venice Beach. I go to Venice Beach with a Polaroid camera. And what was dope, because one of the dudes in Breaking that I really liked was the the nemesis, uh, the Puerto Rican cat. His name was Poppin' Taco. I, yeah. I liked it. He was yeah. hard, like, really dope pot lock. And I was like, I wanna, if I'm doing this shit, I want to do it like him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So get off the bus at Muscle Beach, Venice Beach. It's a circle. It's a boom box. People break down. I'm like, oh, shit, let me go over there. I walk over there in the middle of the circle. There's popping taco. I lost my fucking shit. I'm sorry because I <laughs> lost my shit. I was like, yo! And I got the camera. I'm like, Whew. I got a pack of uh, a film in my pocket. I'm like, whoo, I'm tripping. I'm on the right path here. He finished his part. I tapped him on the shoulder. I'm a kid kind of, you know, still. And he looked over at me. I was like, yo, man, I love you, dude. And he looked. He slapped. He was like, Ugh. I was like, man. Man, so I just go into the thing. I tell him I'm from Chicago. And once I say that, he's like, oh, so word, you just moved out here? You know, you came out here by yourself? You out in the, by the beach by yourself? You Where you live? You live in Silver? You know, he was really, like, picking my brain. I was like, man, can I get a picture with you? He's like, yeah. And somebody took a picture of him. Take a picture with Papa Tago. Yeah. And I didn't keep the picture. I sent the picture home to Skill. <laughs> and he was like, oh. So, you know, our, our mission began on that yeah. level. That was my first thing to do was try to find that. So I found, and, and what I would do is every night go back home, look at the tape again. Okay, so after that, they was in this place. And I go, I try to go find that place. Eventually, I went through Breaking Movie, and I figured out every place. I found Radiotron. A friend of mine who, uh, when I was at the school that I went to, he was the first graffiti artist that I met. And I found, and I found out that he lived in the area that I lived in. So me and him linked up. Right, and he helped me find these places too. Found Radiotron, found all that stuff. Was bugging out, and really just started going hard with my graffiti. Okay, with my man. Turns out his little brother would grow up eventually to be the lead bass player and the dude who start started, and still is in the band to this day of Ozo Motley. What what I was taking away from that is you landed in that in LA and you're like rolling through scene by scene for breaking and humanizing these idols, these larger than life figures that you were experiencing from Chicago. You hit the ground in California and you're like, oh, this is real. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm here. I'm seeing it. These people are actually in these places. Exactly. And you started 
establishing roots with those people, right? Those they're just humans and you connect it in a real way, right? Yeah. So that how does that advise the next chapter? How does that start you rolling more into writing lyrics, more into getting out there and, and mm. sharing those lines and sharing the art? So the second time I moved to California, um, you know, when I when I, met, I went on these missions at the first time I was creeping out of the eighth grade in, into the ninth grade. So in Chicago, you went, you used at that time, you graduated from the eighth grade into the ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th. And those four years were your high school years. Right? Yes. So went through the whole graduation process. I graduated from eighth grade, I'm in high school in Atlanta, I moved to California and I got put right back in a junior high school oh, because wow. you graduate from the ninth grade to the 10th grade, 11th grade, even 12th grade and that's your high school years in California. Oh, so I was like, I was mad. I was like, dude, I got duped. I got to do this shit again. This is bullshit, right? And but, that might have been something that was happening like a, oh, as an experiment, I think, across the country. Because yeah, I remember right around the same time in, in Yonkers, they did the exact same thing. Didn't you like and then they, they went had? back to where, because I think most oh, schools now are back. I think so. I think so, too. Yeah. Wow, they switched it yeah, back. Yeah, they just fucked us, man. Dude, I was like, what kind of <laughs> shit is this? I was mad. I was really mad at that. But the, the, the junior high school that they put me in, is when I really started to realize, like, dude, it, it's like a gang of like starry kind of stuff. So first of all, this junior high school, um, one of our one of the claim to fames was that Janet Jackson graduated from here, right? Sweet. It's called Bancroft Junior High School. So I'm like, oh, that's dope. Yeah, I'm in school with Janet Jackson. But I would meet um, a guy named named Jason Vasquez again. I seen him. And we just saw each other at school and I just gave him a big ass hug because he was the guy who I met the first time I moved to California and came out with my aunt. Wow. Right. He lived down the street, right around the street corner from me. And I met him at a Miss Pac-Man playing Miss Pac-Man at a John's uh, Market, which is right down the street from where we stayed at. And we became friends. I went over to his house. We used to watch movies together, clown, eat snacks, you know what I'm saying? All that kind of shit. Yeah. Lost touch with him when I moved back to Chicago. When I moved back to California, lived in a different area. Didn't know. Got put in that school. There he is. Nice. Now, once again, we're going to find out about this guy later. His name's Jason Vasquez. Big old hug, me and him, instant friends. He's my ace boon coon at this school. Besides uh, one of my aunt's, uh, my aunt's childhood friends that she went to high school with, had a child, and we were like, friends and associates as kids you know what i'm saying family they, friends yeah and they moved out to california before us so she went to that school too which was cool that's how we found the school okay my aunt was like what school do marcia go to like, oh we go she go to bancroft we're gonna try to put charlie in there too so they can go to school together it was that kind of thing so it's all good so we i get to the school and uh see jason instantly hype as hell so jason is a puerto rican guy whose roots from Brooklyn, his his mom was super Rosie Perez style Puerto Rican Brooklyn. Uh, you know what I said? Accent still thick as hell, but he he was born in Brooklyn, but was you know being raised in California. Yep. Um, love of hip hop, you know, so mm -hmm. it was really cool. That was another reason why we really really clicked and we was hanging out. Um, he was in my English class along with another dude named uh, Dino Hawkins. So. Jason Vasquez sat here. I sat here. Dino Hawkins sat behind me. Um, at that school also was a little guy who was in the seventh grade, who a little white guy who could draw his ass off. I had a, a art teacher named Miss Green who taught art all three um, grades, all in the same classes at, when she taught art. You know what I'm saying? So I could be, in, I'm a ninth grader in a class with a seventh grader. Everybody's learning art. Right? Yep. This little dude could draw. He kept to his fucking self. He's always in the corner. You know what I'm saying? And I'm in this class with 17 graffiti artists, like dope dudes who would eventually become dope dudes later. You know what I'm saying? But I'm like, yo, so it was always dope to come <laughs> to class, make sure I got my black book. We talking graf graffiti the whole time, yep. making every assignment have something to do with grab or being presented in a graffiti way. We just was wild like that. But I used to always look over my little dude's shoulder and see him drawing amazingly detailed horses and eagles and 
things of that nature. And one day I tapped him and said, man, it'd be dope if you started doing graffiti, man, because you good, blah, blah, blah. Never thought anything of it. Once again, store that story later. We're going to talk about that guy. All right. Um, that school got me into graffiti circles. Um, got me starting starting to like freestyle rap because it was a dude named Donnell who could beatbox. And so everybody was sick of going a, a circle. And there was another dude named Lior, little Russian kid, and he could beatbox. And I found out that his father owned a, a, a recording studio in New York. I, I think it was in Harlem. I can't remember. But he owned a studio in, in New York. And a lot of rap dudes would record at his, his father's studio, which I thought was pretty sick. I'm like, that's yeah. dope. So Leo would go visit his father's uh, in summertime in New York and then come back with tapes and yeah, stories, yeah. right? So we'll talk about Leo in a second. Because <laughs> this school is so significant to my, to my, you know, being shaped as Charlie Tuna, who you know is right now. So that's why I'm telling all these stories and showing you all these little fires. All right, so... Um, a couple of other little graffiti artists, my dude Spank, um, his little brother Pablo was, was, was my dude, my dude Seb, uh, this dude Mech, uh, this guy Pearl, um, all these hella graffiti artists who would e eventually be greater artists or musicians at some point. I'll tell you who Pearl is later, all right? So, all right. Um, within that time, Graduated from the ninth grade to the tenth grade. Now, while I'm in that ninth grade year dealing with Jason, Jason has a friend named Sean. Sean has a brother named Brett. They rap. They just happened to have a record deal. And we were tripping like, damn, they got to put out a song, blah, blah, blah. And the song that they put out got on the soundtrack of the movie Colors. Oh, damn. Oh, man. I remember that movie well. The song is called Drums of Steel. Okay. And so it was two brothers who rapped, and they had a DJ. Uh, I think it was Italian Cat. I don't know what dude is. I don't know what, it, you know. No, but anyway, all three of them dudes mad cool, blah, blah, blah. Turns out these two dudes were later, I mean, the name of their group was called 783. Their DJ would later be in a massively famous group. But the DJ, his name is DJ Muggs. Right? So they were, and that, I, that was my intro to who, to that world. Yeah, um, like, again, humanizing it. Like, oh, these dudes are actually doing it. Right. And it was because of Jason, knowing these guys, that I was able to do it. Now, me, Jason, uh, another dude who would grow up to be the rapper Juice, um, uh, my, my partner, Donnell, Lior could beatbox like a mug, like Donnell could. So it was, we had two styles of beatbox. The, the uh, human beatbox like the Fat Boys, yep. Donnell could do that style. Lior could do this Dougie Fresh shit like crazy. Nice. Because Dougie Fresh and Slick Rick recorded the show and Lottie Dottie yes. at his father's studio. Oh, nice. Wow. Damn. You see what I'm saying? So he would, go, one summer, the summer that it was recorded, he was chilling with his dad, so he was able to witness some of these recordings. He got, he, uh, Dougie Fresh took a liking to Lior and taught him how to beatbox the way Dougie Fresh does. Damn. So one summer he comes back and could kill the fucking Dougie Fresh beatbox. He's like, damn! <laughs> okay, cool, so you and Donnell get together, we got the whole shit, let's go! And so it became this thing every recess, every <laughs> lunchtime, we just go around the tables, they beatboxing, everybody got verses. We all, you know what I'm saying? So Jason had verses. My man Dino Hawkins, who was sitting behind me, had verses. Donnell would write a little bit. Leo wouldn't write. He was really more into the beatboxing, and he started getting into DJing. But it was just everybody spitting verses in this and the third. Um, so uh, I guess I just reveal it before I even go into the high school shit. So, okay, so Leo um, got, like I said, got into DJing. You know, and through the, the connection through 783 and all of the different circles that would eventually grow, Lior became DJ Lethal from House of Pain. And, you know what I'm saying? All these, yeah. that's my dude. That's wow. my guy, right? Oh, shit. Uh, once again, that same circle, Jason Vasquez, right? My yeah. dude from Brooklyn, mm -hmm. by, by New York, that I met before. 
uh, became Son Doobie from Funk Dubious, right? Funk Dubious, son, knew a dude named Louie and his homeboy Sin from Southgate. They became, you know, he knew Louie and Sin, um, who eventually uh, Jason would write a lot of songs and share ideas and eventually write this song called The Funky Feel One that he gave to Louie and Sinning at Muggs so that they could get this deal. From what I understand, they got this deal off this one particular song that Son helped them write called The Funky Feel One. And that song was the first single that Cypress Hill put out. And that's who, you know, so I know be real really well. I know Sin, I know Muggs because of them old school connections from school, you know what I mean? Yeah, before anybody was anything and you were all elevating each other and learning and developing yeah. the and concept like, of the craft. I didn't spend a lot of time with them dudes because they lived on the other side of town. They lived in Southgate, you know what I'm saying? But yeah. I knew them through Muggs and, and, and Sean and Brett and, and Jason and them. But once again, it was that connection. And I wouldn't see them a lot until later on down the line when they started really kicking their stuff off, you know what I'm saying? But their, theirs was the connection. Now, the dude who used to sit behind me, his name's Dino Hawkins. Love that dude to death. He used to get on my goddamn nerves. But <laughs> he would become this rapper called Volume 10. Uh, it's a song called Pistol Grip Pump that got really big that even Rage, Rage Against the Machine would later remake okay. off of him. You know what I'm saying? It's a dude who used to get on my goddamn nerves. This is my guy. Right? And he, but he's, he's Volume 10. He's a rapper. Uh, 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 that school through a talent show and Volume 10. And my, the beatbox Donnell and myself got into the talent show. At the time, I used, I used to mess with this girl. I, you know, she was like my little high, little junior high school sweetheart. Her name was Monica Calhoun, and she could really sing, really sing, and play the piano. Um, and she had a a really bad cold. We broke up. And we weren't really messing with each other this in the third. And me and Dino and Donnell was trying to get in the talent show. She heard that we was getting in the talent show, so she got in the talent show too. She was like, <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you. We played, we won second place. She won. Damn. Because <laughs> she could sing. And right. the song she sung was so, it was so whack. She had a cold and murdered us. <laughs> oh, damn. The whole time I'm sitting in the middle of the audience and she's looking dead at me. She sings Barbara Streisand's The Way We Were a cappella and served us. <laughs> wow. She served us. <laughs> With a cold. I'm like, dude, who you talking to? You talking to me? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's how it felt. All of the, all of the friends who knew our, our drama looking at me like, damn. You just got served via Barbara Streisand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I thought you guys would enjoy that story right there. <laughs> anyway, I leave that school, Bancroft. Oh, back to that little dude who used to draw over there. Right? Years later, he would become one of the most famous graffiti artists, or just artists, period, from Los Angeles, a, a painter called Mir. Mir One, is my, that's one of my guys. That's my guy. And he always, thank God, and I'm so flattered, but he attributes his change over from trying to just traditionally draw and jumping into the graffiti world to me saying that to him that day, which bugs me out. Me nice. saying, man, you know, you should do some graffiti, man, because you dope. It came up in a, in a magazine one day, and I was like, they asked him, and he was like, yo, so man, how did you start? And he was like, man, a lot of people don't know, but I went to school with Charlie Tuna. That got my attention in an interview. I'm like, I read further, further down, <laughs> Damn. and dropped a book and just picked up the phone like, Mir, for real? He's like, man, you act like you don't remember that. I, I was like, dog, maybe it's too much weed. I don't know, but I don't. I didn't remember. I didn't know that that was you. That's crazy. So yeah, Home I always forward. think it's amazing That's that so cool. there's there's clusters, and there always has been, you know, especially in pop, in pop culture and in hip hop and rock and roll and whatever. That there'll be clusters where the artistry just goes through the roof for just one little segment of time and one little area, you know. Yeah, a little area that, like, yeah. I, I hate Ashbury, San Francisco, you know, where just all that music that came out of this little neighborhood in, in the course of three years, you know, was just explosive yeah. and, and life-changing for everybody and music in general. You know, same thing, you know, I always call it like the Michael Jordan effect. You guys might appreciate that being Chicagoans, you know, it's like where one person can actually elevate everybody around them. You know, whether you even realize it or not or realize how impactful you actually are, you know.
I don't know if I was the impact around that, but I was, it was dope to be in it, to see it, and then to think back later and go, yo, damn, I was really part of something that was, you know, significant to, to something that I love. Like yeah. Pop, you know, so. And that was the beginning yeah. of setting roots of a lot of what pop culture around L.A. hip-hop and graffiti art is now. You guys were setting the base to that story and not even knowing it, just intertwining your lives and elevating each other. I think... That's so fascinating to me. I didn't, I didn't know a lot of that history about you. Yeah, a lot of people don't, and that's why I, I, you know, it's a lot more of that kind of stuff, you know, what I'm saying within our, within our lives. But I just, uh, I guess I don't have to. I, I never have the opportunity to talk about it. So thank you guys for giving me the opportunity. Yeah. Now, what's cool too is that you know, speaking of the of the cluster of of creativity, you know. Where not only with what you're saying with graffiti, and obviously there's there's definitely some some uh, musical artists that came out of that as well, you know. But that also just moved on down the road to the the cafe where a whole nother explosion of creativity, the good life. Yes, sir. You know where AC alone and Micah, who's a really dear friend of mine, and and uh, one of you the greatest guys to ever live. That's the that's one of the greatest. Oh, Micah's the best, man. Came, Love Micah. You know, I give him all the props while he's here, for yeah. sure. Yeah, but that's so. That was a whole nother thing. I don't know if you want to yeah, go into that the, part of it. The good life for me was. Um, I always like try to. I, I think even the, in the documentary that was done by uh, Ava DuVernay called "This Is the Life," I, I think I said it something about it being college for me because there was a time in '91, '90, '91, <clears throat> when we first discovered the the good life. I was in the in the transition of becoming a father. And uh, so I had a son, and uh, around the same time, we discovered the good life. And when I say we, I mean myself, I knew Cut Chemist at this time. I knew Mark Seven from Jurassic Five at this time. And we had a group called the Unity Committee. Uh, Unity being an acronym, uh, acronym uh, United Nations of Intelligence teaching youth, meaning, you know, just because we was all like different races and, you know what I'm saying, we was trying to push the, the positive agenda. And I love it. So, so we was like doing things in backyards and just trying to make demo tapes and things of that nature. And Cut Chemist had a friend that he went to uh, high school with uh, who would become the guy from the Dark Leaf, a group called Dark Leaf, um, called Hymno. Hymno and uh, another guy named St. Mark was telling us about this cafe in Los Angeles that was on the corner of Exposition and Crenshaw uh, in a strip mall. And it was a, a health food store more than it was a cafe. It was a health food store. Tight. And it was called The Good Life. And some elders in the community who used to, I think one of them was a ex-Black Panther and there's a couple, one was a, 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 a professor in uh, African studies at, I forgot what college, but you know, uh, one of those, two ladies and one guy, a couple, and you know, they were elders in the neighborhood, Miss um, B. Hall, big up to her. Uh, they decided to um, throw an open mic at the store that, that, that the couple owned, just for the community. Um, because uh, the, gang, the gang situation was ridiculous in, in, in Cali at the time. And, and it was it was bleeding out of the 80s into the into the 90s and so it was kind of slowing down and turning into other thing the crack academic epidemic and all that mm -hmm. stuff and um we were um we didn't have an outlet once i don't blame this on nwa but once nwa came out the record company saw a cash cow and every record company wanted a gangster rap uh artist an nwa on their roster and mm -hmm. in California, it be, I don't know if this happened across the board, across America, but in California being the uh, entertainment capital, you couldn't get a record deal if you wasn't talking about something similar to what they were talking about. And there was a whole heap of positive artists and artists that were doing other things beside, you know, the gangster rap thing that had no outlet all of a sudden. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So they felt that it'd be cool to give the neighborhood talent and outlet, you know what I'm saying? But they didn't know that that place would get so famous and all these artists would start coming out, record labels would st uh, 
started to regard this place as the testing ground for their artists and they would bring their, their new artists to this place and test them out live and all this kind of stuff. You know what I'm saying? Nobody knew that this place was going to get that famous. Yeah. Like I said, it was just a health food store. I knew nothing about wheatgrass, shots, and things that I knew nothing about. <laughs> None of us knew anything about it. He's like inner city hood kids, you know what I'm saying, whose big brothers and cousins and some of us was like participants in gang activity and drugs and all this stuff. But um, bottom line is that place uh, was shelter. In the, it was an oasis in the middle of a desert that was just relentless, you know what I'm saying? And I, I enjoyed every Thursday. It gave us something to strive for. We started writing songs strictly for performances at The Good Life, but it would sharpen our sword uh, because you had to write along these guidelines. You couldn't cuss at The Good Life. Um, and you couldn't promote anything of an illicit nature. You could do what you, what you did. She wasn't trying to censor you, but she also wasn't trying to promote some of these stereotypes that was cracking due to the the, the advent of, of gangster rap's popularity. You see what I'm saying? So yeah, it, I thought it was cool that she was trying to give you these parameters. And and uh, the photographer B Plus put it best when he said that you're giving these parameters, but it's those parameters that define the art because you start dancing around these things and learning how to get around them and you create these styles and different ways of expressing yourself because of these barriers that you have to abide by. You know what I'm saying? I thought that was pretty cool because it's true. It was certain things we couldn't do. And because of that, we would get really creative in order to get across those ideas. And it just spawned so many amazing artists but also spawned a bunch of biters, uh, you know what I'm saying, and a bunch of like companies trying to come exploit, and, you know what I'm saying, it was, it was crazy, man, but I, I wouldn't change that experience for the world, because from 91 till 95, we was going there religiously every Thursday with new material and stocking up material and learning the industry because we were meeting record execs and A&Rs that would come down to try to discover people. Couple people got signed, like my man who sat behind me in English class. He got a record deal, Arista Records, I think it was. Wow, big one, yeah. You know, quicker than us, you know what I'm saying? A uh, couple of people got signed, like our homies, the Freestyle Fellowship. Yeah. We opened up for them, the Unity Committee, we opened up for them the night that their record executives you know, came and they decided to sign with 4th and Broadway, which was crazy because the other record executives that was there to sign them was Easy e and Ruthless Records. They was gonna oh, try damn. to sign Freestyle Fellowship for Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. That's you know, super cool. And it's really interesting to me that you talked about that like blockade yeah. to musicians who are spitting more positive things and really coming from a different place that there was a blockade on that industry and growing up in the Midwest and like, you know, I graduated high school in 1997, so you know, okay. my late junior high, early high school years is the first time I started being exposed to that other side mm -hmm. of hip hop in the community that I was in because it just never made it there. Right. So that's a huge concept to me that I never realized that that was really driven by the records industry because that's what was selling, that's what was hot. Those guys were huge then. You know, all those guys went, Dre, you know, that was right before Snoop even, right? So yeah. Like those guys really kind of all broke free out of that zone at that same time, right before that blockade fell and some right. consciousness started entering the scene. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Charlie Tuna from a group called Jurassic Five, and you are now listening to the sounds of Royal Throne Radio podcast for the cannabis ass. <laughs> Welcome to Terradone. I'm your host, the friendly neighborhood baritone. Vocals channel the spirits of old poets. I don't drink a glass, never will hold a wet. Similar to Paul or his dumb bar from the crew you thought was just all chorus in one star. Now, I'm one sixth of a click that brunch. While commercial counterparts are in constant conflict, I'm a lot of details on my body be scales. I'm from Ida B. Wales, Middle Sea, feeling good times since like 11 with the window deep, militant mind like Michael Evans. Every bossy recline and watch me get applause. Pouring reservoirs on your desert shores. You're witnessing mental and verbal fitness, friend. Tuna Bishop descended from Blake, Michigan. Hey, wait a minute. Yes. What? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> 
to listen. Do the work to do.